Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our podcast offers friendly conversations with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by Learn Behavioral and the Learn Provider Network. Now here's your host. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of All Autism Talk, the podcast brought to you by Learn Behavioral, a leading provider of ABA services across the country. I'm your host this week, Richie Plush. Earlier this year, we had an opportunity to sit down with Dr. Sarah Litvak, the founder and CEO of Behavioral Health Center of Excellence. Recently, I had an opportunity to sit down with Dr. Ellie Kazemi, who's their chief science officer, to talk a little bit more about the accreditation process, but also the standards and the importance of the assessments that they're doing at the BHCOE. I hope you learn a lot from this interview with Dr. Ellie Kazemi. Ellie, thank you so much for being here. It's great to have you on our show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So we had Sarah Litt back on earlier this year to talk about the BHCOE and some of the accreditation process. And I've got some other questions for you. But first, I want to learn about you. Who are you? What? Tell us about your journey and what brought you to this moment. Oh, man. <laughs> you want me to talk about my journey and what brought me to this moment? Um, uh Precisely, huh? Um, well, I, I probably would say the thing that's influenced me most and has a lot to do with what drives me in the type of work that I do is um, I was privileged to have found some work to work with individuals who were had cerebral palsy, some who had developmental disabilities, and this is when I was putting myself through college. And that work and work with individuals who had learning difficulties and learning disabilities really interested me in being able to make a difference. And so when I entered my doctoral program, I was focused on learning disabilities, mental retardation, and a lot of the work I was doing was psychodiagnostics and uh, clinical evaluations. And what really pivoted me to the type of work I do now in behavior analysis was I had a family who had brought in their teenager. Um, this was a mom who was a high profile mom. This was not uncommon for us. I, I was a graduate student at UCLA and she was very concerned about her son. So I had to put a lot of time and uh, effort in putting that psychoevaluation together. And there was a lot of things going on with him. And I was super proud after hours and hours of work putting together the assessment and the results. And I sat across of her and, and sort of digested that with her. And I could tell um, she wasn't quite with me. I could tell there were periods where she was just sort of nodding at me, but not quite there. Um, and I was, you know, I wasn't as experienced as a clinician yet. So I pushed on and, and, was super proud of my assessment results and I shared all of those with her and um 
she just sat there quietly. And when I ended, she thanked me for my time. And she said, you know, this looks very comprehensive and looks like you've put a lot of time. And I said, yeah, yeah, I have. And and then I asked her, I said, you know, so what are your thoughts about this? And, and she said, you know, to be honest with you, I came here because I have been having some medical issues going on for me. And recently I received some bad news. I'm not going to have much time to live. And I've been here because I was hoping that this psycho evaluation would help me know what to do for my son so that he would mm-hmm. he would be able to be better. I would have some confidence that he's going to be okay. And I realized that none of the work I was doing was really taking me there or providing her with that. And that really pivoted me toward more of the behavioral intervention and the behavior analysis. And it really um, serves, you know, and I had a few families that really were kind and good to me, good enough to share with me with their perspectives. And that really, that's motivated me to accomplish a lot in life. What a powerful moment. I mean, a powerful moment, right? I'm just thinking like, the fact that you took the time to ask the parent, you know, what are you thinking in this moment? I think that's something that, man, we've talked a lot about on this show. And, and, and I love that. I think that's really great that you were, you know, it's, this is a team project, right? It's when we're implementing these things, it's the assessment is a team effort and to get that perspective and to be able to say, wow, what are you thinking? How are you feeling about this? That's, that's, that's something I, I, I appreciate. Thank you for doing that. And and I'm sure that mom did in that moment as well. Thank you. Uh, I mean, I mean, it sounds like you were doing a lot of assessments and I think an assessment is a big part of our, uh, a big part of our field, a big part of our Mm -hmm. science. Can you speak a little bit about the importance of assessments? Sure. The type of assessments I was doing then are very different than I think the types of assessments I do now. I was more focused at the time I was doing more clinical training. So I was focused on uh, diagnostics. And obviously now so much of my focus is in understanding what's going on with um, the individual, their context, what uh, environmental events may be in one way or another, making it unlikely I'll see some of the behaviors that we want to see, either the communication skills or the social skills, or what are some of the things that may have actually inadvertently really positioned the person in, in a place where they're now communicating through aggression or even potentially uh, engaging in self-injury. So most of my assessments um, now are much more behavioral in nature. And most recently now I'm at BHCOE where most of my assessments are very large scale uh, we create evaluation methods to be able to, to look at the quality of services provided by organizations. So I am now at a much broader level looking at, um, you know, how do we make valid and reliable measurement tools for those purposes? So the word assessment has many different meanings for me. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, so when you're talking about the assessments you're doing with the BHCOE, let's start there. I mean, are you assessing an organization? Is this uh, larger research-based uh, assessments to help providers support families? What, tell us more about what you're doing with that. Sure. So there's, I would say, probably two very different types of assessments that we're doing at, at BHCOE. And I'm involved in both. Um, 
one more than the other currently. Um, one is that when you design and think about accreditation, you employ stakeholders and we are actually ANSI accredited. So there's very clear guidelines. We follow best practice in making sure that we really engage the community, subject matter experts, parents, individuals on the spectrum or individuals who receive services themselves, individuals who um, may identify as you know, people who did not like the services that they received or people who really did. Um, and also insurance providers and everybody else. And we set standards of best practice based on the literature and those individuals' experiences and what they suggest. And then there's lots of uh, period for public comments. Once the standards are set, though, now our task begins to say, so how do we know someone's actually adhering to this best you know, practice standard? And that requires usually that you're using a multi-informant process. Usually you want to ask more than one individual and that information to be reliable, to have some confidence in it. So we develop um, observation tools. We have lots of methods of looking at sessions and measuring their quality. And then we also do surveys of the parents and patients and we have surveys of the employees because we ask about organizational culture, organizational practices. Um, and we also do a lot of direct assessments. So we review material that's submitted to us and we have scoring guidelines for those. And so that's one type of assessment I'm involved in, which is the process of accreditation, really, and doing evaluations um, at that pragmatic level. And then the other type of assessment that I'm super excited about is that you know, behavior analysis is uh, based on um, our, our practice in behavior analysis is based on a very, very robust science with a lot of uh, fantastic applications. And we have some data that to suggest, obviously, that what we do works. We wouldn't be here if we didn't. But we lack those large scale outcome studies that tell us who benefits most. Uh, what's the appropriate clinical dosage for different types of individuals or different contexts? Um, what are some of the problems we have with regards to disparity of services? Are there certain individuals who are more probable to receive or benefit from our services? We, we don't have these questions answered because we don't currently have common dependent measures for our outcomes. So one of the things that Sarah Litchback and BHCOE um, really provided me with a lot of support to do was to take on uh, the development of a framework to assess outcomes and to bring subject matter experts together to talk about how can we measure outcomes um, and come to agreement about our dependent measures so we can you know talk about client progress, but then also be able to have some analytics around you know, what What do we need in place for people to benefit most from what we do? That's so interesting. I, I, you know, I'm thinking about even just the the way families' needs change state to state, uh, right. different age ranges, different, you know, different partners within school districts. Right. Um, right. That seems, uh, you know, that seems like a very large project. How do you break it up? Like, where do you even start <laughs> You know, even when you asked a question and I said it out loud, I was thinking to myself, yeah, whoever, we're doing that. Um, I think the way you do it is, first of all, 
you stand with a team that knows better things than you do and is stronger than you are, who's uh, constantly teaching you. So that's one way is we have a strong team of brilliant, wonderful people that we get to be surrounded by at BHTOE. And, you know, the other is that um, we get to work very closely with people who've been looking at outcomes and measuring outcomes. And we're working closely with community partners to make sure what we ask for is feasible. So those are the ways we've been trying to digest it at this time. We're launching the you know, looking at outcomes and being able to help the community through existing requests by insurance companies. So one of the other things I'm excited about with this project is that the truth is insurance companies have been trying to figure out what we do, what should be the dosage, when are we asking for too much, when are we asking not for enough, and when is the progress of the client our problem versus maybe this was a tougher client, you know, because every provider can say, all my clients are hard. And so they, you know, I'm, I'm worried because insurance providers also have lots of clinicians and they would probably begin to tell us exactly what they'd like to measure and how. And they're beginning to do a little bit of that. This project that we're doing that allowed us to contra have contracts with big insurance providers, um, and we're hoping that we will actually continue to work with others, allows us to influence also insurance providers to show them that we care about these outcomes equally as they do. But that as behavior analysts, we understand the community, we understand the science, we understand the provider's needs and can include that. So the project is actually being launched through a value-based payment readiness model. Mm. That that partnership is so important, right? I mean, I think that's something that, uh, you know, early in my career, I definitely didn't understand the value of having that partnership with insurance companies or the people who are funding the services, who, who, whoever it may be, wherever you live. Um, and I think just as I've developed and as the field has developed, it's really been highlighted that working together to identify those outcomes and really find what they are, I think is going to be crucial to us for our next steps, for where we go from here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I couldn't agree with you more. The multi-disciplinary um, approach, but also you know, collaborating and providing care through that care, coordinated care is uh, absolutely essential. Um, it's uh, It seems silly to me that uh, we haven't been aware of it from the beginning, right? How could we ever think we could do it all? Um, I'm not sure. Um, but it makes sense that when you first uh, put into place things and you're trying to figure out how to do it, that you may not include others. Um, but I... Uh, I, I uh, at this stage in my life, I can't imagine having done any of the things I've done without many people outside of us trying to help. I, one of the things I, I want you to if you could elaborate a little bit on um, outcomes can mean so many different things for so many different families. Can you just give us mm -hmm. some ideas? What, what are some examples? What a beautiful questions you ask. Okay. So this is actually super interesting for me to tell you about because one of the most, um, uh, one of the most creative projects I like that I've been given is that I meet with the stakeholders individually. So I get to meet with families around, uh, round robins and 
we get to work with them in creating like jam boards and throwing their ideas and then working and separating those ideas and matriculating them into actual measurement during assessments and discussions of outcomes. And you are so right. It means so many different things to, to us. And what's most interesting to me is that the perspective of families differ from the perspective of the patients themselves when individuals who consider themselves um, as patients who are happy or maybe not happy with the services they received, what they want from ABA so different from what the providers tell us are outcomes and we should measure them. So much so that we actually are working on a white paper at BHCOE to kind of display these differences because the commonalities is that we all know the client, we want to see client progress. Families, when we ask them, what do you want out of ABA? The top things they tell us is, I want my kid happy. I want my kid thriving so that they're not seeming anxious or seeming disturbed or seeming like the world is difficult for them. I just want to see them with a smile and happy. And that is almost something we never hear from an organizational provider, not probably because they don't want that, but they're not really thinking of treatment that way. So we hear from them things like we want to see progress on our goals. We want to see, you know, more than 90% of our goals achieved at a higher rate, you know, and we want to see communication skills. We want to see social skills. And it's interesting because I think that it shows us the level to which we need to connect those to each other for our families. And, you know, when we speak with patients themselves, some of the words that they use is, you know, interesting. It, it, they use the words, I want to become more socially aware. Um, I want to feel like I'm making good decisions um, and that I can do it on my own. So it's um, it's interesting because you're absolutely right. Different Different perspectives. Um, different ways and which is why this project is so cool for us because obviously we have to include all those perspectives to measure outcomes you you should see progress from you know the different perspectives and so yeah yeah it's it's i mean i i just wrote down a note to myself to operationally define happiness right and what does that actually mean and i think it's so different for everybody right and i think Part of it is being socially aware and having social connection and having social interaction with peers and friends and significant others. And uh, there was a student that I work with that went on a date and it didn't go well, but mm-hmm. he was telling me afterwards that it didn't go well. And we were talking about it and he wasn't happy that it didn't go well, but he was feeling good about what he could do next time. I was like, right. that's great. That 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 yeah. perspective taking is like so wonderful for him to be able to do that. And and. Again, that's his happiness, right? That's what he's working towards. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I want to go back to something you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, if that's okay. And you talked about the standards of best practice. Um, Can you tell us more about those standards and and how they're created? Sure. So we have, uh, at BHCOE, we have different accreditations. We have the full accreditation, which is our most, um, uh, most, feasible, most most used uh, accreditation because most organizations that provide behavior analytic services want a full review. Um, and that one is also most comprehensive. So there, the standards are, are based on what we know in practice. Um, when you look at the literature, when you look across 
guidelines provided by different guilds and associations. What do they expect? What are the standards of uh, care? The obvious ones are safety of the patient, as well as training and competence of your staff, as well as care coordination, and also patient communication and care, timely initiation of care, and uh, good communication with the patient regarding goals and activities and um, collaboration with the teams with regards to the outcomes you achieve and so on and so forth. And you can kind of look at all of the standards. Actually, they're published on our website at BHCOE. And all of those content areas are areas that have been, you know, hammered out at these um, meetings with individuals who come together at, at a table and really review the standards. So what we do is we propose them based on the literature, we give some language, and then it truly changes and takes a life of its own as these stakeholders change the standards. Um, and we have also other sets of standards. The uh, other one that I'm super excited about, it is newer, is actually training site accreditations. Uh, this is how Sarah Litvak knew that I would be probably interested in this type of work. A few years ago at Cal State Northridge, we started to work with our community partners to sort of interview with them and look at their quality of things that they did with our supervisees, with our students when they were graduating. And we cared a lot about the quality of the supervision that they were receiving, but it was just unbelievably unmanageable for us to work with these organizations. We wanted to step away from the, you know, dual relationships type sort of thing. I know you, therefore you must provide great supervision, or I know this organization because I worked there. And in an attempt yeah. to make it objective and really do thorough analysis, it became truly un unmanageable. And I was having conversations with colleagues and other universities, um, uh, you know, about how how do we do this? So when Sarah came to me, this was something that she knew I wanted to do. And this was something she put on my docket because she knew I was very passionate about it. And so I'm super excited because we were able to bring people that I have a lot of respect for who've been doing great work in practical development, supervision. They've been writing in these areas. And then we also brought individuals who have been you know, overseeing students doing this work at organizations so they can talk to us about, you know, their challenges with universities. So we had all sides, the university folks, the folks that are doing the supervision, the folks that are doing the community partnerships. And that's how we developed those standards. Um, and we also use the same type of evaluation method, that multi-approach, mm -hmm. you know, multi-informant approach. So we surveyed the supervisees, we surveyed prior graduates, we surveyed the supervisors, we review the feedback sessions and teaching sessions and the quality of sessions so that hopefully what we can do, which I think will be very important for us in the upcoming years, is to distinguish organizations that put time and energy in providing evidence-based supervision and really up the quality and the type of supervision they provide. They put attention and time there. Because as we, you know, graduate more and more behavior analysts, that's the best way we can provide quality control is to make sure the, the generations of individuals joining us match, match our profession so we can be proud, right? I think that's so important because, you know, that sometimes the things you learn in school, you know, for me, I learned a lot in school and I didn't know how to bring it into the field necessarily. And, and fortunately, the people I had that were 
that were supervising me were great at that. And they could say, okay, great. What are you learning? Let's make sure we're applying it. And, and here's, here's why this will work or why it won't work or, or some of the limitations we have, or, you know, just things to consider. Um, and I think there's, you know, I've heard from different people that historically there's been a gap there, right? There's been a gap between what I can learn in school and what I implement in the field. And some of that is, you know, just different settings, right? We're in a home where there may be siblings and that changes the dynamic just in that. Um, And so I love that you're looking into, you know, sort of zooming out and looking at it from the, the, the whole range of, of what goes into providing services, right? Um, Knowing what the measurement outcomes and what you're looking at from a client perspective and knowing what you're teaching in school and saying, great, how do we make sure that everything is tying together so that everyone's working towards the same goal of this high standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I feel like if I were to sum up my life and, you know, um, my goal is really to provide um, anything I can, all the contributions I can to gaining quality control um, in our field, because we have such a sexy, robust science. It is incredible to me how effective we can be And that to me makes me very, very sad because it can be misused. It can be abused. Anything strong and anything good can be. And if not done correctly, we could absolutely take away its capacity to do the good that we know we could do. And that's really, I don't know, that that's really important to me. Yeah. And I I think as practitioners, we should all be paying attention to that right there. There's more, I've heard more um, anti-ABA rhetoric in the last year than I think I have in the previous decade. Not to give you any clue of how old I am. I'm not going to share that. <laughs> but uh, but just that there's there just seems like there's more of it. I think part of it is more people um, being able to express their opinions and have a you know, platform for it. I think that's part of it, certainly. But I think there's just concerns about people who aren't using the science appropriately and who aren't using the strategies appropriately. Yeah, it, it saddens me because first, a part of me feels that we should be paying close attention to the voice of anybody who's ever received anything that's resulted in trauma, harm, or a negative feeling about what we're doing. And the reason that I think we should pay close attention to it is because to be self-reflective is an absolute must. We're we are human care providers, you know. We, we have to be aware that the impact of our profession matters, right? Um, I do know that um, for the number of individuals I see posting things that say, you know, things have not worked, there's many more I meet that tell me about, especially because I'm privileged in this position to have to meet with stakeholders and the stories families share with me about the hopes they gained, the changes they saw that they never thought were possible or originally were told were never possible for their child because of behavior analytic services. I'm inspired because I get to see both sides. But of course, when we're in a world of social media, both sides are not displayed the same way. So I do think that there's generally a a recognition of these negative posts. But for every one of them, I've also honestly seen many, many more that are very positive. But I think it's important for us to self-evaluate and say what's resulted in these. How can we do better and how can we we continue to listen? Yeah, and I think that's, I mean... For the training sites, I think that's something to make sure that like 
I love that we're making sure that our future BCBAs are hearing that message, right? That that piece of what you just said, self-evaluate, you know, be introspective, but also listen, right? To the first short story you shared with us, listening to different families is going to help gain the perspective of what they're going through and being able to, you know, program and plan for what their big events are, right? Are they planning for um, their child to live independently? Are they planning for their child to be toilet trained? Like what's the, what's the big goal for them that they're working on and making sure that we're listening and understanding, because as soon as we stop doing that, then we've lost the human connection, Mm -hmm. right? We've lost the ability to say, I'm working with you. You're a partner with me. We're working together to, to help. But if I'm just coming in and saying, do this next, that's Mm -hmm. totally different. You know, it's interesting you share that because I have to tell you that um, more recently, and I shared this because I was at the conference in Arizona and I shared the story and I want to share it with you in that when we put together the framework for assessment at BHCOE, for some behavior analysts, that was difficult because they're like, wait a minute, we're not used to norm reference assessments. We don't like these broadband assessments. This hasn't been our profession And I completely respect and understand the heart and soul of behavior analysis being that individualized treatment. But I I do hope that we also gain perspective and be willing to extend when something is valuable and learn its value before discarding it. And I had given a talk on the framework and some of the measures, and I received a call from a clinician, actually, who wanted to share her story with me and, and allowed me to share it. Um, and she said to me, you know, Ellie, I, I didn't think that these norm reference assessments were really the way to go for us. Um, I've had a hard time because insurance companies have been asking us to do them. I don't see the scores valuable when I'm looking at somebody's proficient, low proficient, high proficient. That doesn't tell me anything. I'm used to being able to assess for what I need, targeting that and teaching it. And she said, until I agreed to using some of the measures you had talked about, especially the life quality ones, about the quality of life of the individual and the broadband assessment looking at Finland, you asked us to really take a look at these differently, to have the conversations with the family. And she said, you know, I want to give you a story as to why these will work if we do them broadly together. And she said, I had a family where the parent during the entire time I was there had made the referral about their child's eating habits. Everything seemed to be about appropriate eating, appropriate conversations during eating, like when can he speak, how much food can he eat comparatively, you know, what should he eat with, how should he ask for things at the table. And she said, and I could not help but to be reminded, I need to be culturally sensitive and aware of what this family needs. But at the same time, this seems a little rigid. Like, you know, how do I share with this parent that they're being quite rigid? And she said, I moved on to doing the broadband assessments and figured I'll come back to this. I'll let go of these targets and special goals that this parent has. And when she went through the life quality questions and got to the questions about adaptive living questions, the family started to share with her about their culture and how people drop in unexpectedly. So dinner is expected to be had at different individuals' homes. This is a part of this family's culture. And that's how cousins get together. And that's the peer groups that her son will ever have access to. Those are the opportunities for discourse. Those are the opportunities for play. Those are the opportunities for his life peer development. 
and she would never have really been able to even target them correctly had she not realized what this parent really needs is help with those family events that actually are so much more than what they can appear like like you know the in, yeah. in treating like let me cheat you how to eat with your plates rather than my goodness this is these opportunities so i share that because i think that you know what you what you shared really really spoke to me with regards to what this young clinician shared with me um she really took the time to kind of mention the importance of that broad family conceptualization and that if we step out of our comfort zone and try things we might learn a five seven ten things and honestly i learned so much from the way she delivered that and her perspective um i really appreciated it that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, really highlights the the holistic perspective of, you know, what 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 goes on when we're not there, right? You know, we we see our we see our families for a short amount of time. You know, even if it's a full day, it's still not nighttimes and weekends and holidays and family drop-ins and what happens when the neighbor shows up with dinner, right? It's right. we're not there for all of that, but that's what that's what we need to be planning for. Right. Um, Interesting. Well, Ellie, thank you so much for being here today and and for sharing your insights and for doing the work that you're doing. We appreciate you and and uh, and we learned a lot. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we get to have you on again in the future and and hear how things are changing and evolving. And we'll look forward to that white paper. I'd love that. That was wonderful. Thanks for your time and thanks for those questions. Um, that was I had a lot of fun. I hope you found some great takeaways from that conversation with Dr. Ellie Kazemi. In addition to her personal stories, one of the things I found really encouraging was her conversation about assessments and how her and the BHCOE are really looking at assessments on a large scale, not just for the individual who is looking to receive therapy, but also from the organizational perspective of those who are providing the therapy. The second thing that really stood out to me was what she said in the middle about subject matter experts, right? Surrounding herself with a great team. I think that's just good advice for all of us. And I want to do the same thing. As always, you can find us at Facebook or Instagram at Autism Therapies. And if you have a show suggestion or other feedback, feel free to send us a message on our website at allautismtalk.com. You can subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. This podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, the leading network of providers serving children with autism and other special needs. Visit us at learnbehavioral.com. Listen to previous episodes at allautismtalk.com on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.